This is the Data Privacy Detective. It's 4th of July week, and we're turning our spyglass to what happened last month in the world of data privacy and cybersecurity. Joining us as usual is Hugo Nagashima. And Hugo, an attorney and colleague at Frost Brown Todd's Data Security and Privacy Team. Hugo, thanks for coming back. Thanks for inviting me back. Now, Mike Natardi, uh, listeners, who's joined uh, Hugo and me in these monthly explorations, started just today as privacy counsel for one of America's Fortune 50 companies. So he's tremendously busy. And we say thanks to Mike for his insights shared in prior podcasts. But replacing Mike is Brian St. Amour, a groupmate of Hugo's. Brian, thank you for joining us. Happy to be here. Thank you for the opportunity. Well, let's jump right into what happened in June. And we picked three important items to share with you and to probe the broader meaning of each one. So let's start with Oregon, the Beaver State. It was given that nickname by the legislature in honor of Oregon's effort to protect and restore the beaver population. So Hugo, what happened in Oregon last month? Is there something new that it decided to protect? It did. The Beaver State decided to protect privacy uh, on June 22nd. Um, the House of Representatives uh, in Oregon passed the Senate Bill 619, which is the data privacy bill. And uh, this follows a trend. Are we up to 11 states now that have a pretty comprehensive uh, code, something like that? And uh, Virginia, Colorado, uh, California. Does it follow the trend we've seen so far? Well, the answer is yes and no on that. Oregon follows the structure like Virginia's Consumer Data Protection Act, but there's definitely unique aspects to it that I think we should highlight today. Well, let's start with what's similar. Sure. So like Virginia and many other states that we've talked about uh, recently, Oregon protects consumers and those are defined as natural persons who resides in the state of Oregon, but carves out commercial activities and employment activities. And, you know, this is in contrast to California, which doesn't really carve it out, right? Oregon also follows the Virginia mo model in that it is, this law is applicable to a business that conducts business in Oregon and that provides products and services during a calendar year that collects or that has personal data of 100,000 or more consumers, or it's in the business of selling personal data in which the business collects or controls 25,000 or more consumer data. And that's different from the California model. That's right. If you remember, the California model has this additional requirement where if your gross revenue is in, is in excess of $25 million and you have a website, you're CCPA, covered by California, you're applicable. even if not a sole, well, interesting, very different. And uh, what are the similarities, though, with California? Yes. So the similarity is... The definition of sales is very similar. It's sale of personal data, not just as an exchange for monetary, but also other valuable consideration. Remember, if you remember Virginia and some of the other states, it has to be precisely monetary consideration. So that's different. Okay. And so the sale includes the sharing of data if something of value is, is involved? Right. So something of value that is that can be reputational or added value or discount. Well, of course, discount can be monetary. Disc uh, right. Discount on it. Got it. Got it. So it's different. 
Well, now, does Oregon use an opt-in model or an opt-out model? or what, what does it say? So that would be only for sensitive data. There's an opt-in model. And for non-sensitive data, they use the regular U.S. model of opt-out for targeted advertising, so regular personal data and profiling. And obviously, this means what's sensitive data in Oregon, right? And that's the usual list of suspects, which is race, ethnicity, national origin, religion, sexual orientation, uh, data of one of your health, those type of items, and financial data. Well, is there anything unique about Oregon? Every state tries to do something a little different. So what did Oregon do? That's right. We, we've seen some things in Texas. Uh, of course, we've seen it in California. Uh, Oregon, ha- it's what we believe based on the statutory language, may be allowing private right of action. So this is very different because we have not seen that. We have seen California have a private right of action just for data breaches, but Oregon appears to have a private right of action for just violating the privacy law. Interesting. Interesting indeed. So the private bar is probably very excited about this in Oregon. We'll see what I'm sure. We will see what happens. And, and when does it become effect the statute? For businesses that file taxes, it's July 1st, 2024. And I think most businesses should be ready by next year, by around this time next year. Well, it gives you uh, that's the effective date question, and it uh, gives gives business time to prepare. And speaking of effective date and what it means, let's uh, let's turn to you, Brian, uh, to the Golden State, California. No secret how that nickname became official. Uh, and lately, gold has been data. Uh, Silicon Valley companies, venture capital, now AI, uh, real gold for the economy of California. No question. You know, our data is increasingly worth more than its weight in gold, if you can weigh it at all. So uh, California's Privacy Rights Act was supposed to come into force July 1 of 2023. But what happened, Brian? Yeah, so well, in a little bit of a surprise on June 30th, the Superior Court of Sacramento County um, actually enjoined the California agency from enforcing the regulations since they kind of had indicated that the legislative history indicated that they were supposed to have the the rule, the final regulations out for 12 months before their enforcement. And so this will push out the potential enforcement for the California Privacy Rights Act until March 29th of 2024 for the 12 of the 15 areas that the agency had promulgated final regulations for. Interesting. So here you have a court moving the effective date of regulations. And uh, now what prompted this? Yes. So the California Chamber of Commerce filed suit really on March 30th of this year, which was almost immediately after the final rules were um, published by the California agency. And the court, you know, found that this this legislative history indicated that they there was an intended 12 month compliance period to allow companies that ability to kind of put into effect those um, the required changes in order to prepare for compliance. And so, what this means is they really won't be able to enforce until March 29th of 2024 giving kind of businesses a little bit of a reprieve that was supposed to go into effect on July 1 of this year. And I guess we don't know yet whether an appeal is going to be taken or has been taken. So maybe we don't really know when the effective date will be. How do you read that? 
Yeah, I think right now we just have to wait and see. Um, the agency is meeting on July 14th, and as part of the public meeting, they're going to discuss enforcement in general, but they are going to have a private portion of that meeting where it appears that's where decisions will be made, whether or not they're going to seek an appeal of that case. Well, we'll see how the lobbyists and litigators and the courts and the agency all deal with this and finally bring some finality to at least how California's act is is worded. Well, let's turn to China now uh, for the third topic of June. Uh, and, and it's got to be about TikTok. Interesting month for TikTok, the world's maybe the world's most viewed short video platform. And I think we all know that the owners of TikTok are in the People's Republic of China. And, and there's been a concern expressed by lawmakers, uh, presidents, uh, prime ministers in Europe, United States, Europe, and elsewhere about whether TikTok then shares the personal data that it collects about people who live outside of China with the Chinese government. The security concern, the surveillance society that uh, many see China as being. Now, TikTok repeatedly said, including in congressional U.S. testimony in March of this year by its CEO, that it does not share personal information of users of TikTok with the Chinese government. And and if the Chinese government asked, it wouldn't share that data. And then in June, there was a filing in a, in a California court by a whistleblower, former high up employee of TikTok, saying, well, guess what, folks? In 2018, that's exactly what TikTok did with people in Hong Kong to really share it, to look over carefully the personal data of Hong Kong democracy protesters. Yin Tao Yu swore in a California court that he viewed access logo, logs that show that Chinese Communist Party officials, whom he described as a special committee with dedicated physical access to ByteDance's Beijing offices, and of course, ByteDance owns TikTok, used a so-called, in quotes, God credential. Wouldn't one love to have a God credential? And he said they have one, and that bypasses any privacy protections that the company may otherwise apply to the TikTok data. Well, this is a bit of a bombshell in, in, in early June. So uh, just a couple of weeks before that, Montana's governor signed a law to ban TikTok from the treasure state. That's Montana's nickname, and that's already being challenged in uh, in court by users of TikTok, who turn out, now we know in June, uh, are being financed by TikTok to <laughs> challenge uh, on First Amendment grounds of these users uh, what uh, has happened in Montana. So you really see the, the battle uh, unfolding. You have U.S. lawmakers uh, now demanding that TikTok explain inaccurate statements. Uh, you have uh, evidence uh, reported in the New York Times that TikTok employees regularly share user information, uh, such as driver's license information and uh, internal messaging uh, app. You know, it just looks like uh, the Dutch boy tried to put his thumb in the dike and now the water is coming in. And we'll see momentous, uh, perhaps, uh, time uh, for, uh, for TikTok. So what do we make of these developments? And I'm going to ask Hugo and Brian to chime in here. To me, this is simply part of the deteriorating commercial relationship between China and the U.S., except it's happening with Europe, too. So it's beyond that. But in a way, it is not 
completely unlike European Union concerns that U.S. authorities can obtain access to personal information about EU residents if it flows into the United States. You know, the great battle of uh, data flows between Europe and U.S. hinges on a similar point, perhaps different, perhaps different uh, degrees of uh, emphasis. But uh, this, this is the problem. And maybe that's the reason that some people call the web the splinter net instead of the internet. I mean, is the World Wide Web unraveling? Is it becoming more like the Balkans, uh, post-Yugoslavia? What is happening here? I think this is part of what we see. Now, TikTok and ByteDance are proposing Project Texas and Project Clover. What are those? Well, that's an effort uh, by TikTok to say, well, wait a minute, we'll put servers only in Texas and the United States, and, and we won't let any of this information out of the United States. Project Clover would do the same for EU resident uh, information. But one has to pause there and say that's total, uh, that's data localization by where a server is located, where equipment is located. What about what is said to have happened that uh, Chinese government officials have designed things to be able to get in and see what even in a, a server located in America or Europe might be holding? Uh, this is really a profound privacy concern. But posit also the study recently by Toronto Citizen Lab. Now, it concluded that TikTok collects the same type of data that, that all the big tech companies do. Nothing uh, peculiar about the information it collects. And the Toronto Citizen Lab found no overt security issues with the app, no behavior that's similar to malware. But, of course, they admitted that because of encryption and other factors, it couldn't reverse engineer everything that is contained within TikTok. So the mystery remains. Now, for us as individuals who might want to use TikTok to post videos about cute cats and strange dogs or how to dance standing on your hands, be careful what you project. Example, if you say, uh, oh, I visited Taiwan, it's a wonderful country, that you cannot say in China, because to the Chinese government, Taiwan is not a country, it's just part of China. And so with a World Wide Web, these are the risks we all take when we talk. Let me stop there, a lot to digest. Hugo, what would you add on the TikTok front? Joe, you make a very good point that just like the European Union has concerns with the United States, information that is located in the United States may be uh, viewed by the national security agencies and the CIA. Um, one of the things we have to be well aware is that under the personal protection law of China, the Chinese government has the right to basically ask its corporations located in China to provide information. That's there. That's in the law. So Again, regardless of the servers, if the information is being collected by a Chinese company, an entity that exists in China, the information will likely go in the hands of uh, the government. And, you know, it might be good. It might be being collected for good reasons. Like, for example, they mentioned that they're collecting financial information for, you know, it might be for uh, AML, right? Um, Anti-money laundering. But it might be for other reasons. We don't know. And that should be raised a concern. And I, I think it's legitimate for the U.S. government to raise concerns because they asked the questions whether it's being collected. And TikTok's CEO who spoke said no. So that does raise, raise some concerns. 
Very good point. And Brian, what, what's your take on this one? I think it is, you know, kind of an interesting reminder of just the importance of kind of your general data hygiene checks, you know, so when you are a multi-jurisdictional company and you have servers located in multiple countries and access control, really just doing a periodic review of your your data mapping and determine where that information is being stored, who has access to it, ensuring that you are in a position to be able to answer answer questions and and really know where that data is. Yeah, that's a very good point. I remember being with Google's uh, uh, privacy officer years ago, uh, we were both speaking at the European Court of Justice. And he said, what are we to do if Russia tells us one thing and uh, Holland, uh, now the Netherlands only, tells us another and the United States tells us yet another? You know, how can we report to over 200 masters around the world? This is part of the problem that we are all dealing with. Well, thank you both for joining us, Hugo, Brian. We'll be back in August to see what happens in this very hot month of July. And as always, I'll close by reminding us all, protecting your personal property begins with you. Music.